0: Welcome to the Afternoon Show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I am really uh, looking forward to this hour. Not that I don't look forward to every hour, but today in particular, uh, I always appreciate when my guests help me check things off my list. Because on my to-do list today is to speak to a genius. And I also then get extra credit if this genius has a cool name. So I'm two for two already, and I haven't even introduced it to my guest yet, but he is the president and CEO of Reasons.org, so you know the kind of company he keeps with people like Dr. Hugh Ross and Ken Samples, who's a regular guest on the show, but my guest is the president and CEO of the organization, and he is an author and brilliant thinker. So glad to have uh, Fazzel Rana on. Dr. Rana uh, goes by Fuzz. Fuzz, welcome.
1: Uh, Bill, it's a pleasure to, to be on your show. Uh, my friend Ken speaks so highly of you, so it's really a, a very much an honor for me to be uh, be able to spend some time just hanging out and talking.
0: Well, I love that. That's what we enjoy doing here, and I am so anxious to hear your story because I, I read it online, and it is so unbelievably fascinating, uh, given the fact you grew up in a Muslim family. So, I don't know how much you'd be willing to share. Uh, I got a bunch of questions for you as well. So uh, you you take the lead, and and maybe tell me a little bit about your Muslim background and how you came to faith.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, um, uh, my my father was a a devout Muslim. He was uh, born in India, in the Punjab region of India, and uh, came to the United States uh, after a a, a few years in Canada, where he earned a, a Ph.D. in nuclear physics. Wow. And uh, as I said, my my father was very devout. Uh, he my memories of him are getting up every morning, going through a ritual washing, laying out a prayer carpet that would face towards Mecca, face the east, and he would pray. And then he everywhere he went, he carried a a prayer booklet with him in his breast pocket. Uh, my mom's family was from a from a Catholic background, and she was a non practicing Catholic when they met and and when they married. And so growing up in our home, there was some very minimal exposure to Catholicism, but most of the religious influence in our home was is, was from an Islamic perspective. And when I was oh, in a, t- a teenager, 16, 17, thereabouts, I became very curious about Islam. Uh, my father you know, would constantly have conversations with my brother and I about Islam, but this is a point where I was really became serious about exploring what Islam was all about, probably motivated in part by my desire to connect with my father, also a little bit of my interest in really uh, making sense of, of my heritage. Mm-hmm. Uh, growing up in the U.S., I didn't know a lot of Muslim families. And, um, and so I recited the Shahada, which is like the, the ticket to get in, Right, where you declare Allah, the one true God, Muhammad is one true prophet. I learned how to pray from my father and would pray uh, every day, and then also began reading from the Quran. And about a year and a half into it, there was a number of things that c- kind of led to my disillusionment with uh, Islam, and as a result of that, became an agnostic. And as I w- was an undergraduate student studying Chemistry and biology. I was looking to try to go to graduate school to study biochemistry. I accepted an evolutionary viewpoint where I thought, you know, and I learned from my professors that all of biology could be explained through evolutionary means. And I reasoned, you know, hey, what role was there for a creator in that framework? And that just made me even more settled with just being expressing uncertainty about whether God existed or not. And things changed pretty dramatically for me when I was a graduate student uh, because studying the intricacies of the cell convinced me there had to be a creator, and that then opened me up to asking a more profound question is, who is that creator and how do I relate to that creator? And it was a pastor's challenge to read the Bible that exposed me to the Gospel of Matthew and ultimately uh, to the person of Christ through the Sermon on the Mount. And it was really encountering the, the risen Christ, uh, I would say, was a religious experience of sorts uh, through the pages of Scripture that uh, convinced me that Christianity must be true. So it was God revealed in the record of nature, specifically for me, the intricacies of the cell, and it was the, the person of Christ revealed through the pages of Scripture that uh, brought me to faith in Christ.
0: Mm. Fuzz Rana is my guest. He is at Reasons.org. Now, I want to back up, if I can, Fuzz, to your parents. So your dad is this devout Muslim. Is it okay for him to marry uh, a non-practicing Catholic?
1: Uh, Yes, yeah. Now, my, my father was devout, but his expression of Islam was very modern. You know, we oftentimes have a perception of islam that is shaped largely by our exposure to fundamentalist islam okay Uh, but there are many muslims throughout the world who are devout but yet very modern and so from my father's perspective as long as my mom wasn't actively practicing catholicism he didn't expect for her to convert uh, to islam that was just simply something that he didn't expect but it didn't really matter because my mom was, for all intents and purposes, non-religious. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the only time uh, her parents were devout Catholics, and so the only time she ever showed any interest in her faith was when we went to visit her parents or her parents came to visit us, that that we would go to church, under, or to the Catholic Church under those circumstances. So I had some exposure to Catholicism, but it was more the ritual of Catholicism It wasn't Anything fundamental about the Christian faith that I gleaned from my from my mother. So my view of, of Christianity was uh, really not. I had no concept of what Christianity was really about at all growing up.
0: It seems that the extremist position rings loudly in people's heads because I was thinking, well, is your mom considered an infidel by your dad?
1: Yeah, I don't. know. A non-believer. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I yeah I don't know they uh, how my father would have viewed my mom in, sure. the, in those in those terms that we just never had that conversation, you know. Uh, uh, so yeah, I, that's a great question that I I just never saw anything one way or the other that would suggest uh, anything along those lines. Mm-hmm.
0: And Fuzz, when you were observing your father, did you understand or f- or or think that he was having some kind of personal intimacy with a transcendent God, or were you understanding that he was, was doing some religious duty?
1: Um, I, I When I was observing my father, I don't know that I had any real perspective, but when I began to explore Islam, I very quickly learned that the time I spent in prayer was religious duty, religious obligation. And, and after about, a, again, a year and a half, That just became too much for me i mean it was you know uh doing the the act of praying as a way to try to satisfy allah to try to please allah there was nothing other than again an obligation and that began to really uh you know wear on me i guess it just wasn't fun to do that
0: yeah i mean uh, did you feel you, you could ever satisfy allah
1: um, I, I don't know if, if at that age I thought in those terms, sure. you know, but, you know, it's very clear to me now uh, from a, you know, really from the benefit of being a Christian that, you know, there's no way a Muslim could ever in their mind fully satisfy Allah, you know, and, and that's the, you know, the tragedy of Islam, I think, or one of the tragedies is that your salvation is never secure, you know, the the view is that Allah is a God who is just, he's also a God who is merciful, but he's also a God who is capricious as well. And and so you may do everything you can to satisfy Allah, and it's still not certain whether Allah is going to grant you entrance into paradise or not. Your salvation is never certain in Islam, Mm -hmm. you know, which is a, a stark contrast to, of course, the Christian faith, where Our salvation isn't based on any obligation we fulfill or anything we do to satisfy God. Our salvation is based on, really, the work of Christ on the cross and His righteousness being imputed to us. So the view of salvation is radically different in Christianity uh, compared to Islam, which is very much works-based.
0: Foz, tell me about your grandfather on your dad's side.
1: I never had the pleasure of meeting him. Okay. So, yeah, so that, you know, that that would, you know, that's one of my, you know, uh, the things that I I, I feel like I missed out on in life. But, yeah, by the time that I uh, came along, uh, my grandfather on my father's side uh, was dead. And, um, yeah, so I just never had that pleasure of meeting him.
0: Mm -hmm. And did you ever have discussions with your dad about your grandfather in terms of— His spiritual life and his devotion, I assume he was a devout Muslim?
1: Yeah, he was a a devout Muslim, um, you know, and uh, he was uh, someone who was uh, illiterate uh, and, uh, you know, uh, couldn't even sign his name, but apparently a very, very shrewd business person who, who, you know, was very successful. Uh, So it it was really my father, the fact that he had a, a earned a PhD in (laughs) nuclear physics was really rather remarkable given again, my you know, grandfather's lack of education. So that's about the extent of, of, what I know about him. But, you know, it's interesting because when I became a, a, a Christian, my father was deeply, deeply upset with me, as you could imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, what's interesting is that uh, he, you know, began, he died a number of years ago. He started having health issues and felt as if Allah was punishing him because of my conversion. And he, uh, my mom would tell me that he would have dreams of his father coming to him, being very upset with him oh about, about the fact that his grandson converted to Christianity. So my, my father was actually very tormented in the last years of his life um, because of the, the lack of uncertainty about his, about his salvation, really. That was a, a big part of it.
0: Well, wow, Foz, this adds a layer of complexity that is got to be really difficult to sort out.
1: Y- yeah, yeah. You know, there's a, a, you know, the and the way that I, you know, manage this is, you know, simply recognizing the nature and the character of God, that God is a God who is just. God is a God who is merciful, and, and so I can be, I can just simply place. The, the the you know the outcome of my father's existence and mm-hmm. where he is in the afterlife in God's hands, knowing that God is just and God is merciful, and so that's where I drive my comfort, uh, you know but it also is what motivates me to do the work that I do at reasons to believe is that you know sharing the faith and, and in doing work in apologetics is very important to me because I don't want anyone else. To die apart from the love of Christ, uh, as my father apparently did, and, you know. And so, um, you know, God will use those those experiences in our life, I think, to call us, to motivate us, to uh, to really um, give us a, a sense of mission and a sense of calling. He de- definitely did for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Doctor Foz Rana is my guest. He's the president and CEO of Reasons.org great organization you can head over there and see his good looking picture if you like reasons.org we're going to take a break and we come back continuing our discussion with Foz. be right back Hey, it's the end of the year, and you are absolutely amazing in your generosity. Thank you so much. If you've not made a gift to Faith Radio, we would love it. You can do that at MyFaithRadio.com. Thank you so much. delighted to have as my guest dr fuzz rana he is over at reasons.org uh fuzz before i m- move on any further tell me again your earned phd was in what
1: uh it was in uh, technically in chemistry with a, an emphasis in biochemistry so uh, i'm one of those guys that that finds molecules fascinating yeah. and and uh, and particularly the molecules that make up living systems so that's where I my head is <laughs> many days.
0: Yeah, well, you've written books about it, and I would love to have you back on the program at another time and to talk about that because uh, you say that people who look at cells the way you do, there's no way there's not a creator.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, the design and biochemistry yeah, yeah. is mind-blowing. And, uh, yeah, love to do that. That would be a lot of fun, Bill. Thanks.
0: Yeah. I walked by the biochemistry class once in college. <laughs> I did that once. And I did write in my journal that day that I, I walked past it. So just want you to know I'm kind of there with you, just so you know. And then with the level of intellectual curiosity that you must have had in your home, your father's a Ph.D. And, come on, you got siblings, and they're all probably smart?
1: Yeah, I've got, I've got a brother who is a science and math uh, well sorry, checked out a science teacher in, um, in high school, uh, but uh, interestingly enough, my my brother is an atheist. Wow, and yeah, yeah, and my my father was much more comfortable with my brother's atheism than with my uh, my conversion to Christianity, which should speak volumes about just how offensive Muslims consider yeah. the, the Christian faith.
0: I suppose your dad looked at your brother as kind of neutral, and he had not embraced the Muslim faith, but he also had not done something like you did and run off and become a Christian.
1: Yeah, well, you know, one of the things that, you know, I think is interesting about Islam, at least when you view it through the lens of a Christian, is that in Islam, it, the, the the faith lends itself to a type of agnosticism, because in an Islamic view of God, God is entirely and wholly transcendent, and so because of that, God is in unknowable. In fact, if you are a Muslim and you, or any, or even a non-Muslim, and you say that you can know God, that is considered to be blasphemous because wow. it means that you are placing yourself at the level of God to say that you can somehow know God. All a Muslim can know is what Allah wills, and Allah wills what Allah wills, and so. There's nothing knowable about God. Part of this is because of God God is great beyond our imagination, uh, but there's no real concept of God, God's revelation in Islam. Whereas in Christianity, we of course would say that God too is entirely transcendent, but that he has also made steps to reveal himself to us so that we may not only know about him, but ultimately know him. And, and so that, and so what we take for granted as Christians is profoundly offensive uh, to to Muslims. And what a Muslim sees as undermining God's greatness and, and 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 a statement of blasphemy is something that, as Christians, we see as an expression of God's love to us that He would reveal Himself to us. So when my brother is an atheist, it it, it aligns more comfortably. With Islamic theology than mm-hmm. someone who holds to a Christian perspective.
0: So does he have a problem with you, his brother, younger or older brother? A younger brother. Okay. And does he uh, have a problem with his older
1: brother? Not really. Okay. Not really, but but he uh, you know he just isn't doesn't you know whenever we've had conversation he's like that's fine for you but it's just simply not not for me so you know he's deeply entrenched in, in, in atheism. And um, I've never had a, a conversation as to why, or I've tried to, but he's never really been willing to to have that conversation with me.
0: That's heartbreaking. Yeah. So let's. Uh, I want to ask you too about the, the one. What is some of the benefits of the people being in the Muslim faith? I mean, I have heard that because the islam has gotten to be very big in the in the prison system throughout the us and i i think that they're being empowered and the is does the muslim faith supposed to empower men
1: yeah uh you know that that's a great question and you know for the life of me i don't know what the appeal of islam would be other than uh you know, it, there may be some kind of sociological factor where you know, uh, where men are actually, you know, you know, in in control. They mm-hmm. are the ones with the power in society. They're the ones in, with power in the family structure. There may so there may be a sociological appeal to that, but I think part of it too is is the appeal is that you know uh, it does allow you to embrace the idea that there is a creator, mm-hmm. but it isn't Christianity. <laughs> Right? So there are many people who have really soured on Christianity for a number of reasons, and I think it, Islam provides that alternative where there still is a creator uh, where you can still have that, that, that spirituality, if you will, uh, and that it's part of an organized system where there are, again, social structures in place that, that give you a sense of belonging, but it's just not Christianity, so I think there's, you know, that, the, for example, the the appeal of Islam among African American people many times is that type of an appeal.
0: Because mm-hmm. I hear that they're feeling empowered by being Muslim, but I, I then I think the message of the gospel is you're strong when you're weak, and you surrender. And there's a lot of young men thinking, ah, I'm not surrendering. I want to be empowered.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. That's a that's a good point.
0: So uh Fuzz, let me um let's talk about your background some more because I find this so fascinating. But what um how have the Islamic beliefs of Christmas impacted you? What are the Islamic beliefs about
1: Christmas? Well, I mean in, in a sense, uh, Christmas is, you know, an embodiment of everything that would be profoundly offensive to a muslim right Mm -hmm. because you know you you, first of all you know we the the idea in islam is uh, that allah is uh is one and there's a strong emphasis on the 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 singularity or the oneness of, of allah and so in christianity we talk about god being three persons in one essence and so for a muslim because of this concept of oneness The view is that Allah does not have a partner. There's none that is equivalent or equal to him, that he doesn't have a son, that he doesn't have a wife. (laughs) Now, of course, that's a a misunderstanding of what Christians mean when they talk about Jesus being the son of God. But the Trinity itself now is offensive. And, of course, Christmas is all about the second person in the Trinity taking on the form of a human being.
2: And that, again,
1: is another point of offense,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, because why would uh, Allah in his greatness ever humiliate himself, ever condescend himself to take on the form of a human being to, to live among creatures that he has made? And so the incarnation is considered to be, again, deeply offensive, which is ultimately what we celebrate yeah. at Christmas, you know, is, is, the, is God among us, God with us. You know, in a court, and then the the idea is that Jesus was was born to die, and he willingly goes to the cross and gives himself up to us so that we could be reconciled to God. Mm-hmm. And, and, and and Muslims have a very high view of Jesus, but he think he, that he's a human being and a prophet of God. Yeah,
0: uh, Faz, let's uh, let's he, pick this up after the break. We're up against a hard sure. break. So unfortunately, I have to cut us short, but we'll take a break and be back, Doctor. Faz Rana is my guest, president and CEO of Reasons.org. We'll be right back. Dr. Fuzz Rana is my guest. He is over at Reasons.org. He's the president and CEO. And as we discussed uh, right before the break, uh, Fuzz, I'm real curious as to what Muslims think about Jesus.
1: Yeah, well, you know, Muslims have a, a high regard for Jesus. They, It's interesting. They, they believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. Uh, they don't see him as being fully God and fully human as we would as Christians, but rather they see him as only human, but he was a prophet. And in fact, the the Muslims find the idea that Jesus died on the cross to be offensive, because the view is that Allah would never allow one of his prophets to die this humiliating death. And so the the belief is that uh, Jesus was taken up by Allah uh, before he was crucified, and that he was replaced on the cross by someone else, perhaps Judas, and Muslims believe that Jesus is going to return again. Uh, they believe in a type of second coming, and this would be the time where the end end of times is ushered in mm. uh, when Jesus returns. So, very high view of Jesus. Uh, but again, when it, when it comes to the the Christmas story, there, the, the you know the offense, the ultimate offense is to again say that Jesus is fully God and fully human. That's, again, committing a shirk, committing a blasphemous statement, because you're attaching another to Allah. You're saying that Allah has an equivalent, if you will, an equal. Uh, but also, Allah would never <laughs> take on the form of a human being to live among, among us. That, that is considered, again, to be uh, uh, denigrating. To, it's considered undermining the greatness of God. And, and yet, when we think about the Christmas story from a Christian perspective, what a Muslim finds to be the greatest offense is actually the, the a demonstration of God's ultimate greatness. That's the irony, and, it, it, and, it's, and it's because ultimately what's being expressed at uh, Christmas is the, the radical love that God has for us as human beings. Uh, and And so the greatest attribute of God is his love, and The the greatest expression of that love is actually found in the incarnation. But it helps us to recognize that by looking at uh, the Christmas, uh, what Christmas is all about, the meaning of Christmas through the through an Islamic lens. It helps to really amplify uh, the idea of the incarnation. I think it's very easy as Christians to become so comfortable with the notion of the incarnation that we overlook at at how. (laughs) remarkable that con- the concept of the incarnation is and how radical the incarnation actually is in terms of what it means about our relationship to god
0: yeah muslims don't believe that there was um, a virgin birth
1: oh uh, they they actually think that jesus was born of a virgin oh okay
0: uh, i thought I, yeah. I thought i heard otherwise
1: yeah yeah so yeah, so the, the, there's a very high view of Jesus. I mean, there's something special in a, in, a, in a, for Muslims about Jesus. They regard him as a, a great prophet, right? But it's just that he's human. Okay. You know, yeah.
0: So another—you uh, talked about Jesus' return, and interestingly, a message came in the text line from a listener named Deb saying— People say Jesus hasn't come back yet because he is patient and wants everyone to be saved, but while he waits, more are born, a continuous cycle. What are your <laughs> thoughts to that?
1: Yeah, well, uh, that, that's an interesting question. <laughs> it like, is, isn't it? Yeah, well, you know, and, and, you know, I guess, for you know, I don't know that this answer is the, the, the best answer possible, necessarily, uh, but I, I think, you know, in— in God's economy those people who are going to be saved are 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 going to be saved so i would hold to uh, this idea that you know um, probably somewhat of a calvinist view right that that um, god has predetermined who is going to he's going to save uh, and the the, the the people that he's going to save are again the you know the i'm not quite sure how to how to express this but um, are, are, are people that would, would respond to the gospel, right? These are the people that are going to respond to the gospel. So I don't see the birth of new people as somehow, uh, undermining the patience of God or undermining the ultimate plan of redemption that God has for, for humanity.
0: Mm -hmm. Fuzz, um, what does the sacrifice Jesus made say about his care for us?
1: You know, uh, I mean, this is, you know, ultimately what the incarnation is all about, is that we are not able to save ourselves. Right. And so, you know, by taking on the form of a human being and being able to identify with our frailty, and, and also at the same time, you know, to be fully God and fully human, it's through the, the death of Christ on the cross that human beings could be truly reconciled with God. So that act of sacrifice is an, is a huge embodiment of love that God is expressing to us but the fact that as human beings there's no way on our own effort in our own abilities we could ever know anything about God it's only because God has chosen to reveal himself to us and and that ultimate revelation is in the person of Christ as recorded in the Gospel of John Jesus said, you know if you see me you've, you've seen the Father right so God is a, is is taking on the form of a human being to accommodate us so that we can know him in in, in in understand him in the in in you know in our limitations in our capacity as human beings so that too is, is an ultimate expression of love and you know in contrast to what you know Islam thinks you know Jesus didn't wasn't forced onto the cross But he willingly went to the cross. He willingly died so that we could be reconciled to God. And so that is a a profound expression of love.
0: Dr. Fuzz Rana is my guest. Um, Fuzz, let's talk about the the humility of Jesus. I'm I'm going somewhere with this question, but I would love for you to just talk about the humility of Jesus.
1: Well, you know, this again is where Islam really helps us, I think, fully appreciate what what Jesus did when he took on the form of a human being. And this is, you know, the, 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 the point of Philippians two, you know, that, that uh, again, for a Muslim, for God to condescend, to humiliate himself, to take on the form of a human being is something that a Muslim can't come to grips with in in light of God's greatness, in mm-hmm. light of Allah's greatness. But, you know, I would argue that the greatest expression of love isn't actually giving up your life for the sake of another person though that is an enormous act of love but there's something noble in that but to be humiliated to condescend yourself for the sake of another person where there's nothing you get out of that other than being humiliated is the 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 ultimate expression of love and and I saw this let me tell you a quick story Please. with my father you know my 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 father uh was as I mentioned a nuclear physicist he was one of the brightest people I've ever known He was a college professor. He didn't suffer fools. He was no-nonsense, very stern man, Uh, very proud, very aristocratic, too. And I was a bit of a mischief maker in in high school, and I took things a little bit too far in my senior English class the last week of school, and my English teacher threatened to fail me. Now, this meant that I wouldn't not only be the valedictorian of the class— which I was scheduled to be, but it meant I wouldn't graduate from high school. And so uh, my English teacher called my house to let my father know what I had done and what she was thinking about doing. And I literally saw my father beg on my behalf. Wow. That was astounding to me because my father never backed down from anyone. And to see my father go through that humiliation for my sake was a, had a profound impression on me that this man really loves me, that he would do this for me, uh, you know, and of course he was furious with me <laughs> after that phone call. But, you know, uh, but the, the point is, is that that gives me this perspective on what God did. We're talking about the God who is the one who created everything, the, the transcendent God who rules the entirety of the universe, who is great beyond anything that we could imagine taking on the form of a human being humbling himself so that that we could know him and that we could be reconciled to him. That is what we're celebrating at Christmas. That's the radical nature of the incarnation. And so the irony here is that what a Muslim sees as the greatest affront to God's greatness, as Christians we see as the greatest demonstration of God's greatness. And if we can help Muslims to see that, to change their perspective on the incarnation, it, it opens up the gospel to them, I think, in a way that nothing else could.
0: Mm-hmm. Fuz, I'm curious, how did your valedictorian speech go? Mm. Because mine didn't go so well.
1: <laughs> well, uh, you know, let, let's put it this way. The, <laughs> the, the, the teachers were very concerned about what I would say is demanded <laughs> to, to, to see it ahead of time. Yeah, <laughs> so... Yeah, so uh, it went okay. It went okay. So, but, <laughs> so, so your, so tell me about. Oh, your...
0: we don't have time to talk about mine, because <laughs> <laughs> mine maybe didn't happen. So I don't think we have time for that. <laughs> All right. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I just I, we're going to go to break here. Just in a couple of minutes, and I'd love to just talk a little bit more about just the the way the humility of Jesus just changed the, the way that you. Uh, celebrate Christmas, just coming from your background?
1: Yeah, well, you know, to me, it, it gives a deep, deep meaning to, to what we celebrate at Christmas. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and when we talk about, you know, uh, unto us a child is born, and and, and 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 God has given us a Savior, we've been given a Savior, it's very easy, I think, to become trapped up in the, the festivities of Christmas that we miss how profound that concept is, because it's not— as if Jesus even came as an adult to live among us. He came as a helpless baby and he went through what every child goes through to, to grow up, you know, and in that culture, you know, a child had really no status in the culture whatsoever. So Jesus came and his initial appearance as a human being was without any status whatsoever. And in fact, you know, as we read in in Matthew, he, Herod, was looking to put to death, uh, you know, <clears throat> the Hebrew children who were, you know, two years old and younger. And so he, you know, his, part of that humility was even being uh, threatened with his, with the, you know, with death as an infant or as a young child, uh, because again of the the culture that he was in. So it's amazing to me that that this is the God of the universe that would go through that that. Again, that humiliation.
0: Yeah. Dr. Fuzz Rana is my guest, and we are going to take a little break, but when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion. If you want to learn more about him, he's the president and CEO and senior scholar at Reasons to Believe. And it's an organization, as you know, because Ken Samples is a regular on the show dedicated to communicating The Powerful Scientific Case for Christianity. And his books include Human 2.0, The Cell's Design, and Fit for a Purpose. We'll take a break and be right back. Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Join us for our reading the Bible together Advent study. Sign up at myfaithradio.com.
2: <speaking in the Bible>
0: Welcome back to the show. My guest is Dr. Faz Rana. He and I have a lot in common. He has a Ph.D. in biochemistry, and I host a radio show. So there's a lot in common there, I think. I'm going to go with it. Uh, Fuzz, I'm just so fascinated when we talk about the details of the life of Christ. came as a baby. We don't know much about his life until age 30, a little bit here and there. I don't know if you're like me, but I can't wait to get to heaven and see every detail of every hour of every day.
1: That's the thing that's amazing, again, about Christianity is that that we experience uh, the person of Christ, you know, here on earth, though it's imperfect, though it's limited, but to think that we will be in his presence and to be able to fully know him when we are in heaven with him, you know, that, that to me is, you know, mind-boggling. It is. You know, to, to, to think that uh, that the creator of everything that there is, you know, the the creator whose fingerprints I see everywhere within creation is a God who I can know, and the depth of knowledge I'm going to have and the intimacy of of knowing knowing God is, you know, beyond what I could even hope for. W- what a joyous and glorious time it's going to be to be oh, directly amazing. in Christ's presence, right? Yeah. Spectacular. Fuzz. what do
0: you wish our culture would do better about the sacrifice that Christ... Has made because we feel it feels that we're more we we have less unity we're more broken we're more angry. Um, just curious as to your thoughts on that.
1: You know, as as our culture I think becomes an increasingly secular, I think that one of the the fruits of that is that that there is greater and greater division, and this is the the contrary to the the message of the gospel where within the gospel there's should be greater and greater unity where those things that would separate us which would cause divisions among us become really you know immaterial they don't matter anymore because what what unifies us is that we all are in Christ and so you know it's it's very sad to see that division but again it goes back to Philippians 2 where you know the the the, the point that Paul is trying to get to the people that are the recipients of that, of that, letter is that you should regard other people as more highly than yourself. That's part of the humility of Christ that we're trying to emulate yeah. as Christians is, and when you begin to regard other people as more important than yourself, I think it's very difficult to, to have anything other than a strong sense of unity within, within a community, within a, you know, uh, you know, within a, a, you know, a church body. So, um, yeah, if, if only, you know, the solution, I think, to our, the, the many, many problems that our culture is facing today, the many divisions in our culture, is the gospel. That's the only solution uh, that I can, I can see.
0: Fuzz, I'd be curious, just to coach us right now, when you say that we need to consider others, you know, we have to humble ourselves before others, what things go through your mind as you go about your day? that helps you to have that at the forefront of your mind and how, what actions do you take that says, all right, I am trying to put others ahead of myself.
1: Yeah. You know, well, and, and I probably end up failing more than I, I have any kind of success. You know, that's, that's the, you know, the real challenge. It's a very difficult thing to, to actually put others ahead of yourself. And I think part of it is constantly reminding yourself that the people you're interacting with, are people that are made in God's image mm-hmm. that, that these are people that have infinite worth and value and that either you know, the way that you treat that person is really in effect the way that you're treating God himself the attitude you have towards other people are, is essentially the attitude you would have towards God because these people are imaging God you know and mm-hmm. and so that that is something that always helps me you know to you know to to value the people around me, and I think when you value the people around you, it's easier to to put them ahead of yourself, to put their needs ahead of your needs and and to truly try to love them and, but it's it's not an easy thing to do uh, by any means and 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 this is part of the I think the process that we go through you know as Christians towards becoming more and more like Christ and seeing the world more and more through the eyes of Christ uh, is to, to recognize that these are the things that we should do and, and acknowledging when we have failed and recognizing that, uh, that we can dr- develop strength, you know, through the, the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, to, to do better the next time,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
1: and, and this is where forgiveness becomes so important and where, you know, again, in contrast to, to Islam, where we, we are, our salvation isn't based on our success, uh, but it's based on the mercy that God is, in the grace that God has shown us through the work of Christ on the cross. Uh, but it doesn't mean that, that we can't grow or become more and more like Christ, or our nature becomes more and more like Christ, but it's through the, you know, these failures that I think that, that tr- process of transformation happens many times. But
0: mm-hmm. what I always have in the front of my mind is every person you encounter, I think, well, image bearer of God, which is a beautiful place for me to start. But then I also think I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So I, I know what the message of salvation is. And mm-hmm. Acts 4.12, there's no other name by which you can be saved. But when I do encounter people of of a Muslim background, I have a tendency of, freezing up a little bit, because I think culturally, I don't know quite how to navigate my way around this. Is there any counsel or wisdom you can offer us when we have uh, people who are neighbors or people we work with who are Muslim, and we want to get into a a meaningful discussion with them, but we want to make sure we do it wisely?
1: Yeah, well, I think the the, the thing to remember is when it comes to Muslims is that there's a lot that unifies us as Christians and Muslims, you know, that we do believe in a personal transcendent God. We do believe uh, that, that, that the creation displays the, 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 handiwork of God, you know, and there are many Muslims who are creationists who, who support intelligent design, who would, would see the scientific case for a creator being almost identical to what a Christian would espouse. That's another point of common ground. The moral framework in which we view the world is virtually the same, you know, that, that Muslims in many respects should be our cultural ally as as, as conservative Christians, as evangelicals. So to remember that there, there are many points of common ground and common agreement, I think, takes away some of that that tendency that I think we all have to freeze up, and 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 I think you know the first thing would be how can I just become that person's friend, right? How and 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 um, and if they understand that you really are interested in that friendship, it's amazing to me how easy the conversations flow. Mm-hmm. I I go out and I deliberately try to befriend Muslims, particularly those who are interested in the scientific case for for creation, and find that the conversations about my faith and their faith and the, and who Jesus is become very easy. And many m- Muslims don't understand Christianity or they have a distorted uh, perspective of what Christianity is about. So just being able to even explain what Christianity is uh, can go a long way towards helping to reach a Muslim. So, uh, you know, th- th- they are people who, as you said, bear God's image. And there are people that we you might be surprised that how much you have in common with.
0: Mm -hmm. We just have a couple of minutes left and I would love to tap into the scientist in you as we close out this hour. And would you be willing to give us a couple of fun facts about cells?
1: Yeah, well, you know, the the, the one fact that, that kind of, that keeps me awake at night in terms of it just being so mind blowing is the fact that, that DNA, which is a molecule that stores information that the cell needs to build its parts and to, to direct all of its operations, is digital information, and just like the digital information that we use in our electronic devices. And the way that the cell's machinery handles the information in DNA is fundamentally the same way that a computer system operates. And it's, it's so similar that it actually has inspired a new area of science called DNA computing, where scientists are literally building computers in tiny test tubes out of DNA and the proteins that manipulate DNA in the cell. And these are more powerful than the most powerful supercomputer systems that we've built to date. And and this is amazing to me to think that, that, that the very heart of the cell is this very sophisticated computer system that far outstrips anything that we could ever envision and design and build. And that, that's amazing to me. But what's also amazing is the fact that the technology we build has an analog in the technology that we see inside the cell, and that opens us up to a very interesting you know, type of watchmaker argument for God's existence. But it makes sense that if we are image bearers, that what we make when we invent things is going to be uh, similar, is going to resonate with what the creator has already made. Mm -hmm.
0: One last question. Roughly how many cells are there in the human body?
1: Uh, Fun fact, there's about a trillion billion. Human cells and about ten trillion bacterial cells. Wow! So, so, and and, and we. This is one of the revolutions in medicine is that we now recognize that those bacterial cells are actually in a symbiotic relationship with us and are necessary for our health. So, all this discussion of probiotics is very much part of that that revolution in our, our understanding. So, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. We, we are we are walking colonies of bacteria and human cells.
0: (laughs) That's fascinating. Well, Fuzz, thank you so much for doing the show. I've already put you on my speed dialer. I'm just giving you a heads up if you want to block my number, just so you know. (laughs) know,
1: Bill, anytime. Thank you. I'll take a call from you anytime. (laughs) Thank you, and
0: have a wonderful and happy and Merry Christmas. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you so much. Dr. Fazrana has been my guest, CEO and senior scholar at Reasons to Believe. You can go learn more more about him at reasons.org. We'll take a break and be right back. Podcasts like mine are available because of your support.